Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the Gospel of John. Thank you, Minister Micah and the worship team. Great job tonight. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, is where we'll be reading from. While you're turning there, I want to bring you greetings from Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen. I don't know if he's finished preaching, but when I talked to him earlier uh, before I was heading over here, he said, I'm preaching in about an hour. Uh, so he may be done by now, but uh, he was preaching in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri uh, at their conference, uh, uh, Gary Brothers, Pastor Gary Brothers Church. So the Brackens are uh, out of town, but I bring you greetings. We want to pray for them before we read the Word of God that we just like to cover our pastor in prayer. So join me with me as I pray. Father, we thank you for Pastor Daniel, Pastor Karen, Daniel Jr., Hannah, the entire Bracken family. Lord, we pray for them as they're away. Thank you, God, for this opportunity that they are given each year to go and minister uh, to the body of Christ there in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Uh, Father, bless uh, even the services and all that he pastor preached tonight. Lord, I know it was anointed by you. Uh, let the, the words that he shared and he preached, your word that was brought forth, let it bring great fruit in the hearts and lives of the people there. Bless them abundantly. Keep them safe and bring them home safely. And we thank you, Lord, in your great name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22 is going to be our text for tonight. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. Reading from the King James Version, a new King James Version, it says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it tonight. Anoint me to share what you placed on my heart in a way that you would have it to be shared. And we give you praise, Lord, in your name. Amen. You can be seated tonight. As I already mentioned, there's lots of things happening here tonight in the service. Uh, if you're wondering where did all those young people that were up here worshiping go, well, they headed upstairs for youth service. Uh, they're having youth service on Friday nights now. Uh, and uh, we also have our Belong class uh, that's for anyone that is wanting to know about how to be, uh, uh, what it means to be a member of our church and become a member. Uh, Pastor Kirsten is uh, teaching that belong class uh, in another part of the building. And uh, there's just lots of things happening. In fact, uh, you can drive by our church any day or night of the week and there's something going on. I think that's a sign of a healthy church. I think that's a sign of people who are hungry for God. I think that's a sign of people who were wanting to say, you know, there's nothing better than being in his presence. There's nothing better than being with my brothers and sisters. There's nothing better than seeing Jesus. The title of my message tonight, if you're taking notes, is An Encounter with Jesus. And I read a passage of scripture to you tonight as our text that the Holy Spirit gave me uh, that, that it talks about some people, some individuals who wanted to have an encounter with Jesus. So much so that they sought out the followers of Jesus that they recognized as having been with Jesus. And they came to him and said, we want to see Jesus. Can you help us? Can you show Jesus to us? We want to encounter Jesus. And that's kind of the, the setting of the text here. In fact, let me give you a little background to set the stage tonight for what the Lord wants to say. In this particular part of the ministry of Jesus, he had just entered into Jerusalem 
to the shouts and praises of a huge crowd present in the city for the Passover celebration. We refer to that as the triumphal entry, okay? The people were anxious to proclaim him king. The Jewish people were anxious to proclaim Jesus the Messiah as the king, but he refused to accept the role that they wanted him to take. He was talking about a kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom of God, an internal kingdom of God. They were interested in throwing, overthrowing Rome and making him the earthly king, and yet Jesus had a different plan. So it's in that background that this passage of t- Scripture takes place. As we read, our, uh, the story opens with some God-fearing Gentiles, Greeks, who had come to worship at the Feast of the Passover. But they're more than just curious visitors or one-time investigators of Jesus, they're seeking the truth. They're hungry for the truth. They're hungry for something that will bring meaning. They're hungry for an encounter that will mean something to them. They approach uh, Philip with an appeal to see Jesus. But to their credit, they didn't want to just physically see Jesus. Because they were present there during the feast, they had physically seen him. They had seen him ride in on the colt. They had seen him with their physical eyes. They didn't want to just learn more about Jesus. Having heard and observed all that they did, they were attracted and they wanted to believe in him. They actually wanted to know who Jesus was. Amen? Now, we read in our text that they came and they were worshiping at the feast. They came to Philip and they said, sir, we want to see Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus, and we're not told by John, the writer of the gospel, whether or not they actually got to see Jesus. We don't know that, although I think they did, because I think Jesus recognized people who were hungry for an encounter with him. I think Jesus was, I think that kind of attitude, that kind of expectation, that kind of longing, Jesus was very anxious to meet. So I believe that they did meet with Jesus. We're told in the text that they came to Philip. Now, possibly they came to Philip because even Philip's name uh, was a Greek name, and they were Greeks, so maybe they felt a little identification. But they came to Philip um, to, to say, we want to see Jesus. And Philip was, John doesn't really say why they chose Philip. It just says that that's who they talked to. And Philip seems a little perplexed himself about what to do. So he goes to Andrew. And Andrew did what he always did. In case you didn't know, Andrew always took people to Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42. Andrew came to Simon Peter, his brother, and said, Come with me. We've found the Messiah. Come with me. I want you to meet Jesus. Come with me. I want you to see him. In in John chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, Andrew was the one who brought the little boy who had the fish sandwiches in his brown paper sack or maybe his Transformers lunchbox that his mom had given him that morning when he set off to go hear the great teacher. Andrew was the one that, that found him and said, oh, no, come with me. Come and meet Jesus. Andrew always in Scripture brought people to Jesus, and that's the case here. It says that they came to Philip. Philip didn't know what to do. He went to Andrew, and Andrew said, Philip, we're going to do what I always do, and they They went to tell Jesus what was going on, and I believe that not only did they tell Jesus what was going on, but I believe that Andrew brought the men to meet Jesus. Church, if I could sum up tonight what I feel like the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us, it would be this. People need to have an encounter with Jesus. Let me say that again. 
Those of you online that maybe you need to hear this, people need to have an encounter with Jesus. When you read the Bible, when you read God's word, because Jesus is the word, because we understand that in the book of Genesis, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the way that he created everything was he spoke his word. And when he spoke his word, it created all that there is. And then when you go to the gospel of John, it says in the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word, capital W, was with God, and the word was God. And the word, capital W, became flesh and dwelt among men. What is that saying? It means that at creation, Jesus was the very power of the spoken word of God. And so when we read his word, when we devour his word, when we hunger and desire for his word, we are encountering Jesus. And of course, the Holy Spirit was sent by God when Jesus went back to heaven. He, the Holy Spirit was sent by God to remind us of everything Jesus said, to lead us and guide us into all truth. Basically, what the Holy Spirit came to do, one of his main jobs that he came to do was to give people an encounter with Jesus. So if I could sum up what the Holy Spirit wants to say to each one of us tonight, it's that people need to have an encounter with Jesus. There is a world outside these four walls, church, and they don't need just another gathering. They don't need just another thing to do. People are busy. Our society is busy. I am so thankful for more than one reason, but here's one of them. I am so thankful I live in Alaska. Because as crazy as life is here in Alaska, it's really crazy outside of Alaska. It's, it, I, I mean... I went, we took vacation time, went and saw our kids. We made, a, we made a, 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 a rather long trip. We stopped in Seattle and saw family members. And then we went to Louisiana and saw family members. And then we drove up to Tennessee and spent time with family members. And then did it all in reverse, coming back home. And you know what? I, could, I was glad to see family members. I was glad to see my son, my daughter-in-law, my granddaughter. So glad to see them. So glad to see my mother-in-law. Uh, who I, Jan hadn't had an opportunity to see since she had her 80th birthday. So glad to spend time with my brother-in-law, but I couldn't wait to get back home because it's like, Lord, this, this is crazy out there. At least here, there's a sense of I can just be in God's presence. I can sit on my front porch even in the wintertime and in the glory of the nature and the beauty of the nature that God has created here, I can sense and feel him. People don't need another thing to do. They're looking, they're hungry, they're wanting reality, real power, the reality of the truth to be shown to them. They're looking for something. And in everything that we do, they need an encounter with Jesus. Church, everything that we do, that we should be helping people have an encounter with Jesus in our services. The goals shouldn't be great worship, although we have great worship. The goals shouldn't be great preaching, although we have lots of great preachers, and I feel privileged to be able to even preach to you guys tonight. The goal shouldn't be great fellowship, although there's many times the person locking up has to start turning off the lights in the sanctuary because people don't want to go home. All of those things are great, but that shouldn't be our goal. In our services, our goal should be to create an atmosphere and declare the truth of the word of God and let the Holy Spirit take it and anoint it so people encounter Jesus so their lives are changed. So that when people walk in the back door who've never been here, when people join and tune in our services online, they've never done it before. They're doing it because they want to see Jesus.
In our services, that should be the case. We're declaring 500 new people uh, to become part of our church uh, between now and the end of the year. Were you aware of that? 500 new people. Why? So we can say we have 500 new people? No, so that we can give an opportunity for 500 new people to encounter Jesus, to see Jesus, to get to know Jesus, to experience his love, to experience his grace, to experience his forgiveness and his mercy. In everything we do, we should want people to encounter Jesus. In our Discover track, we should want people to encounter Jesus. Because Jesus designed each one of us to have a, 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 with a need to fit in somewhere, not to just be out there on our own. And Discover Track is an opportunity, as you know, as you saw with the video and have heard the announcements, it's a place, it's an opportunity for you to discover where you belong, how you fit in all of this, what God's plan and purpose is. But in all of that, if all we do is give people some good ideas, we've missed it. They need to have an encounter with Jesus in everything we do. Our life groups should be a great opportunity for people to encounter Jesus in a small group setting where, where people can get to, can really be transparent and share their need and hear and know that Jesus is the only answer that they need. Amen? King School of Ministry. You got to know I'll talk about that. King School of Ministry. Listen, if all we do is, is fill our students with a bunch of knowledge and they don't have an opportunity to encounter Jesus, they don't have an opportunity to meet Jesus, to see Jesus, to experience Jesus in a greater way, then we've missed it. Our ministry teams, everything that we do, that's why we encourage you to, enjoy, to join all these things. That's why you hear it push so much. Our vision uh, for Kings Worldwide, 500 Vision 500, 500 new extensions. Why do we put this out there so much? Why do we promote it so much? Because we want you to know that in everything that we do, we're creating an atmosphere, creating a place where, at least I hope we are, where people have an opportunity to have an encounter with Jesus. In everything, and I capitalized it in my notes, in everything we do as a church, people must have an encounter with Jesus. Because I want to tell you tonight why. An encounter with Jesus is the only thing that can change the heart of a man or woman. An encounter with Jesus. The Bible says that the heart of man is, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But it also tells us that if we hide God's word, if we, if we enter into this new relationship with God, he'll take out the heart of stone and put within us a heart of flesh. And the understanding is that heart of flesh is a heart that beats and longs after God because it's been changed. It's been transformed. It's been re made a new creation. An encounter with Jesus is the only thing that will change the heart of a man or woman. An encounter with Jesus is the only thing that can produce a new identity in a person's life. Religion doesn't produce a new identity. Religion, in fact, well, it may produce a new identity, but it's not the identity they were, that God intended for you to have. It may produce in you an identity of a religious person. You know that people can be religious about all kinds of things, right? Not just God. I have, a, I have a cousin on my wife's side. I don't know that he's watching, but if he is, I love you. Um, in his closet, in his closet, hanging in his closet are his shirts 
and they're coordinated by same color, long sleeve, short sleeve, in his closet. In his wallet, his dollar bills, his 20s, his 5s, whatever denomination, it doesn't matter. They are systematically put in his wallet, smallest denomination to largest, and serial number. That's religious activity. There are some people that they put their shoes on the same way. Left, left foot first, then their right foot. And if they mess up, if they do it wrong, it just, they, they just mess up their whole day. Those are religious activities. Doing something over and over again. And that's not what God called us to. An encounter with Jesus is the only thing that can cause us to understand our true identity. What God called us to be, who he created us to be. An encounter with Jesus will help us understand the promises of Jeremiah uh, that were spoken over Jeremiah, but also apply to us that before we were in our mothers, formed in our mother's womb, God knew us and had a plan and a purpose and a destiny for us to fill. Before we were ever conceived in our mother's womb, we were born in the heart and the mind of God. And an encounter with Jesus is the only way that we'll fully be able to understand and experience that. An encounter with Jesus is the only thing that can guarantee salvation and heaven as your eternal home. Again, religion won't do that for you. Only an encounter with Jesus. Because only at an encounter with Jesus do we come face to face with the one who died on the cross for us, that shed his blood, that sacrificed himself, that paid for sin that he didn't commit so that you and I could be forgiven of every sin we've ever committed or ever will commit. Oh, hallelujah. And people need to have an opportunity to encounter Jesus. Nothing else, even good, seemingly godly things, can do for you and I what an encounter with Jesus can do. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. I want to give you three points tonight uh, that serve as a takeaway, something you can get down in your spirit and take home with you tonight. Three points that I want you to get tonight. Number one, an encounter with Jesus challenges religious tradition and thought. An encounter with Jesus challenges religious tradition and thought. If you look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of this earth. In the Sermon on the Mount, chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to study it. I encourage you to memorize it. It's got things in it like the Beatitudes, you know, the blessed attitudes. It's got things in it like the similitudes. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's got things in it where Jesus said many times, you have heard it said, but therefore I say to you. And I want to tell you that those men and women that gathered to listen to Jesus as he sat down on the mountainside and began to preach, it's got things in it like, how can you say to your brother who has a, a speck in his eye, remove that speck when you've got a plank in your own eye? All of these things, these truths that were found in the Sermon on the Mount, they they were done by, spoken by Jesus and those who encountered his sermon on the mount. It was challenging their religious tradition and their religious thought because they had sacrificed or put away the heart issue and were simply going for the let me check off doing the right things. In case you didn't know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, all of that was not found in the Old Testament. 
They showed up in the New Testament. Did you ever stop to think of why and how they got there? Because when the Old Testament closed, before John the Baptist showed up on the scene to begin proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord, there was 400 years of silence where God didn't say anything. And when God wasn't saying anything through any prophetic voice, man came up with their own ideas. And their own ideas were religious tradition and religious thought and a, relig and a way to say, if you want to be godly, God's not speaking, so we're going to take what he told Moses and we're going to add a whole lot of things to it. We're going to add a lot of tradition. We're going to add a lot of, of religious-sounding, seemingly really good things to do. And when people had an encounter with Jesus, he blew that out of the water because Jesus was after the heart. He wasn't after the outward actions. He was after the heart. When he said to them in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, and it was applied to men and women, well, I say to you, if you look at a man or a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. Now, some people are like, well, that's harder than what the, the tradition was saying. That's because Jesus was after the heart of the issue. He's after your heart. He's after my heart. He was saying, look, you don't need to just say, well, I've never committed adultery when all you do is scan the horizon for your next person to commit adultery in your mind with, in your heart with, because you do that long enough, and guess what? It's a real thin line between doing it all in your mind and your heart and your emotions and actually stepping over into doing the physical act. In fact, he said, you've really actually, because of the heart attitude that God judges, you've actually already done it, so repent. So an encounter with Jesus, man, it, it takes, it just blows out and challenges religious tradition. Jesus was after the heart. He was challenging them to move past all their powerless religious tradition and get to the heart of a ma the matter, a living, ongoing, power-packed, active, never dull relationship with him. That's what an encounter with Jesus will do. Secondly, an encounter with Jesus calls for a choice. It calls for a choice. When Peter, James, and John encountered Jesus, he called them to leave behind what they knew being fishermen, what they were comfortable with and comfortable doing and follow him to choose a life of surrender and salvation. And they chose because to encounter Jesus calls for a choice. In fact, you make a choice by not making a choice. When you encounter Jesus, when a person encounters Jesus, they're making a choice one way or the other. Because that's what an encounter with Jesus does. The rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 came seeking an encounter with Jesus. But he was not willing to make the choice of surrender. And by not being willing to make the choice of surrender, he made another choice. And he, the Bible says he turned and walked away very sorrowful. Because Jesus said, yep, I believe you that you've done all the commandments. But what about your heart? What's your heart attitude? Well, I thought Jesus told him to give, take his, sell what he had and give to the poor. He did, but he was going after his heart because he knew where his heart was. And the rich young ruler made a choice, just not the right one. He chose not to surrender to Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, a man by the name of Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus and chose to be forever changed because an encounter with Jesus calls for a choice. Amen. And thirdly, an encounter with Jesus changes everything in a person's life. An encounter with Jesus changes everything 
in a person's life. Not just head knowledge, not just an understanding that there was a Jesus, not just understanding that Jesus wants us to try to do good if we can, but he understands when we don't. That doesn't change things in people's lives. In fact, I used to tell teenagers when we were youth pastors that when you surrender your life to Jesus, it's like your life is a trophy case and you've got all these accomplishments that you've done. You know, maybe you know because if you've ever been in high schools and they have trophy cases in the hallways with the championship trophies and the championship banners and the team pictures and in our own life we like to we like to keep things that serve as memories of great accomplishments that we've done and we and they can be trophies if you will when you accept Jesus as your lord and savior he's not added to your trophy case everything in your trophy case is taken out and he becomes the only thing that matters in your life amen Having an encounter changes everything in a person's life. Well, I don't know that my life has really been changed that much. Then maybe you haven't had a true encounter with Jesus. And I'll let the Holy Spirit take that and do with it what he wants to do and what you let him do. But turn with me real quick. Go with me real quick to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Because see, people had an encounter with Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus had an encounter with Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood had an encounter with Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, had an encounter with Jesus. The Roman centurion had an encounter with Jesus. The Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile and Jesus called her a dog, she had an encounter with Jesus. And on and on and on in Scripture we see people's lives forever changed by an encounter with Jesus. And that's what you see here in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, you see Lots of people, lots of individuals, several different groups having an encounter with Jesus. And all of them were faced with an opportunity to make a choice. And one person's life was changed forever. If you're not familiar with the story, this is the story of the woman caught in adultery. The Bible says that she was caught in adultery. She wasn't just accused. She didn't just have a bad rap sheet. She didn't have a bad reputation. It says she was caught in adultery. And being caught in adultery, the law of Moses said people caught in adultery were to be stoned. Now, it's interesting that the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had the woman in tow, but normally it takes two to be caught in the act of adultery. But they only had the woman, and they were headed to the temple, the place of worship, to carry out the religious duty of stoning this woman because she had broken the law of Moses and the law of God. And so here they are. They've got their group, and they're coming around the corner of the temple, and they run right into Jesus and his group, his followers, people that are encountering Jesus. And and the religious leaders hated Jesus. The religious leaders didn't understand why Jesus was doing what he was doing. If he was the promised Messiah, why wasn't he following the law of Moses? Why wasn't he following the 400 uh, separate things that they added to the original Ten Commandments? Why would he dare take the original Ten and boil them down to two when they had taken the Ten and blown them up to 400? How come he wasn't fitting into their box? Why wasn't he operating in there the way they thought he should operate? They couldn't see. Seeing, they couldn't see. Hearing, they could not hear. And so when they encounter Jesus here teaching uh, there at the temple, and they've got this woman caught in adultery, they thought, we got a perfect opportunity here. 
We're going to put Jesus to the test. Because if we ask Jesus what to do with the woman caught in adultery, and he says, stone her, then all those people that are following Jesus and so attracted to Jesus because he talks about love, that God is love, and God so loved the world, and love is what we're supposed to do. It's really hard to show somebody you love them when you're stoning them to death. So they were thinking, well, we'll, we'll, we'll trap Jesus. Because if he says stoner, then all those people that are following him because of the love of God are going to realize it's all just still a bunch of religious rules. And if he says don't stone her, then the religious law had a clause in it that you could be stoned or punished for the same, by, with the same measurement of punishment if you approved of someone's sin, guilt by association. So they thought they had Jesus Pardon the expression, caught between a rock and a hard place. Some of you will get that later. Um, they thought they had Jesus trapped. And so, they, so Jesus was teaching, and he saw them walk up. And, and, and I'm being a little liberal. It doesn't exactly say, but we know that Jesus at least acknowledged they were there because they began talking to him. And they said, Master, I don't know if you've ever thought about what taking the Lord's name in vain is, but it's not just cursing. It's calling him master when he really isn't. It's calling him Lord when he's not really Lord. But they said, Master, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law says, Master, that she should be stoned. What do you say, Master? What do you say, teacher? What should we do with her? And Jesus didn't answer them. So you've got, think about the people that you've got there. You've got the woman caught in adultery, caught in sin, a sinful woman. You've got the religious leaders who were wanting to punish her for her sin. You've got Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Word of God. He's there. You've got the people that are wanting to have an encounter with him, and they're hanging on his every word. You've got his disciples. You've got the bystanders. Everybody's attention is turned. Jesus doesn't say anything. In fact, it says he stoops down and begins writing in the dirt. And you really want to bug religious people? You really want to annoy religious people? You really want to get on religious people's nerves? Ignore them when they ask you a question. So Jesus ignored them, seemingly. Started writing in the dirt. They started getting real indignant. You can read it. I'm paraphrasing it. They started getting real indignant. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Master. What are we supposed to do? What do you say that we do with her? She's caught in the act. The law of Moses says that we can. It gives us the right. The religious laws give us the right to persecute and punish and, and beat people down. What do we do? He was writing in the dirt. The Bible says that Jesus finally said, tell you what, guys, all, all, of all of you here, whichever of you is without sin, Go ahead and cast the first stone. At that moment, he bent back down and started writing in the dirt. Now, I don't know what he wrote in the dirt. We, don't, we aren't told what he wrote in the dirt. I'll tell you what I think he wrote in the dirt. It's just my thought. It's, don't build a doctrine on it. It's just my thought. I think he was writing their sins and perhaps the women they had had adulterous relationships with writing their names in the dirt because something caused them to say, I'm out, and drop their rocks. Now, the Bible doesn't say they said, I'm out. It says, and then beginning from the eldest to the youngest, they dropped their rocks and departed, leaving. But they dropped their rocks and said, I'm out, and they left. And all of a sudden in this story, 
that we're reading tonight, that we're talking about tonight, we see the two most important people in this encounter. The woman, because she represents all of us, caught in our sin, deserving the punishment of our sin, being persecuted by religion that beats us down. You know, you know the, the Bible says, Paul says that the giving of the law did not bring about salvation. The giving of the law showed people how far away from the holiness of God they were. So the woman caught in adultery represents us. Caught in our sin, facing judgment, and then of course Jesus, because you know he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords and bright morning star. <laughs> Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valley, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Savior of the world, the great I Am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the only one worthy of any praise and honor and glory. That's Jesus. And he's standing there, and this woman is lying in the dirt at his feet, expecting any moment to begin to feel the rocks of judgment, to begin to feel the, the punishment to be poured out on her. See, she didn't know she needed an encounter with Jesus, but God had set it up that day that she would have an encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, she began to hear footprints walk away and rocks hit the ground, not her. And I think through her tears laying in the dirt, she looked up, and I think as she looked up, she saw a pair of feet standing in front of her. And this pair of feet didn't have on fancy religious ornate sandals, just had on common sandals. They were the feet of Jesus who, other than taking a, a, a ride on a colt and a couple of boat rides, had walked everywhere he'd ever been. And as she took her gaze up a little farther, she caught the hem of his robe. And it wasn't an ornate robe with, with, with fancy embroidery and 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 things that would bring attraction to it. It was just a simple robe, probably made by his mother. And as she continued up, the Bible says that there was nothing special about Jesus in his appearance that would cause people to go, wow, he's somebody. And he certainly didn't do things about it. In fact, Jesus was notorious when he healed people for telling them, now don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. I don't want the attention. But I think when she got to his eyes, I think when her gaze met his, I think she began to understand the significance of this encounter. Because when she looked into the eyes of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Word of God who was there at creation and who had come to earth to bring salvation and forgiveness and rescue women like her, people like us. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Hey. Hallelujah. And I think when, she, when her gaze caught his gaze and she looked into the eyes of the creator himself, when she looked into the eyes of the prince of peace and the one who loved her like no other, I think at that moment she knew because Jesus looked at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? And I think her answer would imply there's not any, Lord. No one accuses me, not even you. Because I think she understood that at that moment. And Jesus told her, you're right, I don't accuse you. Now just get up, go home, and don't sin anymore. 
I think perhaps if you can allow me, he turned to Peter or maybe Andrew and said, give me your extra cloak. And as she stood up from off the ground, he covered her, covering any shame, symbolically covering any shame, symbolically covering any guilt, symbolically covering any uh, feeling of inadequacy. And I think at that moment, because of the encounter that she had with Jesus, her life was forever changed. And that's what people need. People need to have an encounter with Jesus. Self-help books are great. Christian counseling is amazing. Uh, life groups and life group leaders and, and doing a study on, on the seven habits of highly successful people is, is, has its place. John Maxwell's, Pastor, Pastor Kirsten, forgive me, it was great teaching today in our mentoring, but John Maxwell's 17 uh, uh, points are, uh, of, team, of teamwork are wonderful, but they can't take, hear me, church, they cannot take the place of an encounter with Jesus. Sorry about that. Church people need an encounter with Jesus. If we claim to know Jesus, if we claim, I'm not talking about we claim to come to Kings, that we're a member of Kings, that we sing on the worship team at Kings, that we're part of a, we're a life group leader at Kings, we're part of the Kings Kids Ministry, we're part of Kings Youth Ministry, we're an usher at Kings. We're, I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if we claim to know Jesus, then people deserve to encounter him by encountering us. Because see, you'll show them Jesus. It's just a matter of what kind of Jesus do we show them. Do we show them Jesus that is far off and judgmental and holy and righteous and pious and, you know, sometimes the statues and sometimes the paintings and sometimes the, they don't do Jesus justice. You know, because he's, you know, angels... He could have called angels at any moment. He created them. But sometimes we have the wrong picture of Jesus in our lives because we haven't fully encountered the real Jesus. We've encountered the religious version of Jesus. And if that's all we've encountered, then that's all we can show people. You can't show people. I can't show people Jesus to a greater extent than I've encountered him myself. Paul had, and I, I'm going to close here in just a second. Minister Mike, if you'd come back to the keys. Paul had an encounter. Saul had an encounter with Jesus. Saul was religious. Saul was feeling like he was, I, I mean, he wasn't out just to kill people just because he liked to kill people. That wasn't Saul's motive. Saul, Saul wasn't some serial killer who, who just got great joy in, in killing people. Saul felt like he was doing Jehovah Yahweh God a favor by wiping out these people that were walking contrary to Judaism and the law of God. His heart, if you will, was in the wrong right place. His motivation was, God, you, I got to help here because these people are, are distorting the law because all he'd ever encountered was the law. All he'd ever encountered was the religious nonsense, if you will. So on the road to Damascus, he had a face-to-face -face 
encounter with Jesus. And it knocked him on his backside. And it blinded his eyes. And you know, we're not, it's not recorded that he ever met the physical Jesus who walked on the earth. But when he had that encounter with Jesus appearing to him in that vision, that light in that voice, he said, Lord. And I don't think he was taking the Lord's name in vain. I think he really knew at that moment, I'm encountering God here. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And at that moment, Paul, Saul's life, because of that encounter with Jesus, was so radically changed that he changed his name. And he became one of the greatest missionaries this world has ever seen, one of the greatest preachers and declarers of the gospel and the planning of churches all over the then known world, turned the world upside down and knew he would stand before Caesar in Rome to proclaim the gospel before he died. Why? Because of an encounter with Jesus. So the question to us tonight as we, as we close is, what kind of Jesus are you showing people? When they see you and I, are they seeing a Jesus? Are they having an encounter with Jesus that will forever change their life? That will challenge the religious nonsense that is powerless and has them bound? There are people outside these walls, as I said. They have been, they have been so ripped off by the world, so ripped off by the devil, so abused by society and abused by religion and, and lied to by false religion. And they are desperate. They are like these Greeks in our story that I open up with from John chapter 12 that came to the ones that were supposed to know and, and have been with Jesus and said, sir, and I don't think it was just a Sir, we want to meet. We want to see Jesus. I think it was a cry of desperation. We we're here celebrating, and 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 we we saw him, but we want to see him. We want to know him. We want to encounter him. And that's what people that you and I rub shoulders with every day. That's the cry of their heart, even if they don't know that's what they're looking for, because he's the only one. He's the only one. In the early 90s, there was a rock band by the name of uh, Extreme, I think was their name. Um, and they had a song with a line in it, there's a hole in my heart that can only be filled by you. They weren't talking about Jesus. It was a song of love from a guy to a girl. But can I tell you that principle is true. There's a place in the human heart that can only be filled by God. It's a God-shaped hole. Nothing else will fill it. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will make your life complete. Nothing else will cause your life to become successful and blessed and abundant and protected and provisioned. Listen, I, the world can go nuts. And I think they are. <laughs> but <laughs> Psalm 91 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my God. And it goes on further in that to say that when we commit ourselves to the Lord and we commit ourselves to his word and we hide his word and we meditate on his word, that nothing will harm us. Oh, but we go through stuff, tough times all the time. We do. But we were, we were built and created when we, come, when we are new creations 
my KSM students will understand this. We were, we're, we're then created to bend but not break with the stuff that we face because we claim the promises of God because we choose to abide. We choose to encounter him. Abiding in the shadow of the Almighty, dwelling in the secret place isn't coming by on, stopping by on Sunday morning. It's daily, moment by moment in our lives, encountering him and all the amazing things he has. So I challenge you tonight as we close. I challenge you tonight. If you've heard anything that I've said tonight, what kind of Jesus does the world see in you and I? Are we like Andrew? That at every opportunity, we point Jesus, people to Jesus. We bring people to Jesus. At every encounter that we have with someone, we bring them to Jesus. If we don't, maybe it's because we're not so sure because we haven't had a real encounter with him ourselves. Would you stand with me all across this place? Those of you that are online, those of you that are here in this sanctuary, I hope you've been challenged by the word and by the Holy Spirit has taken what I shared tonight and, and caused you to think. Sometimes the Holy Spirit tells me stuff and I'm like, I don't know that I want to say that, Holy Spirit. People need to repent. People need to pray a prayer. People need to speak because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And with our mouth, we make confession and our heart believes unto repentance. That needs to happen. But that's just the drop of the, in the bucket beginning. Okay? You can't go the next step without that first encounter. But an encounter with Jesus is something that's supposed to take place every moment of every day. So when we introduce people to Jesus out there and we talk to them and they pray a prayer, praise God. I'm not minimizing that. Did you hear what I said? I'm not minimizing that. But they need to then begin to encounter him in every single moment of their life growing and allowing that seed that was planted of repentance and prayer and God accepting their repentance and applying forgiveness. They need to be taught, discipled, loved, cared for, taken care of. And if we're going to have 500 new people come into the church, we can't pick and choose what they look like, what they smell like, what their reputation is, what sin they're wrapped up in and bound in. Because if that was the case, none of us would be here but we've got to be willing to take them as they are because that's what Jesus does and then allow an encounter with him and his word and his spirit to change them and transform them and change everything about their life and walk it out with them. So that's the challenge tonight. If you're here tonight within the sound of my voice, and you don't know Jesus, you've maybe not had what you feel like is a true encounter with the Holy, with Jesus, with, with the person of Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, and nobody knows their need for Jesus except the Holy Spirit convict them. That's how it works. So if you're here tonight and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and he's saying one of the reasons why you're not able to help people have a true life 
life-changing, transformation encounter with Jesus is because you've not fully had that. We want to correct that tonight. Maybe you've never had an encounter with Jesus. You're here tonight because somebody somebody invited you you're here tonight and you had an encounter with jesus years ago but your heart's not right and you're trying to fill it with relationships you're trying to fill it with a job you're trying to bring satisfaction in your life by having people like you and love you can i tell you nothing will change and transform your life like an encounter with jesus will. so if that's you here tonight with every eye open and every head up because this is a safe place if you would say by uplifted hand, I want to I wanna encounter Jesus tonight. I want my sins to be forgiven. That's the first step. I want to know that, my, that, that, that I'm right with God. That's the first step. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. That's the choice. I'm having an encounter with Jesus now, and it calls for a choice, and I'm choosing to say yes and surrender to him. If that's you tonight, would you lift your hand all across this place? Those of you online, even though I can't see it, the Lord can. Lift your hand if that's you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Then here's what we're going to do. We're all going to confirm and reaffirm our commitment to choosing to surrender to him because we are encountering his presence right now by saying this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me, especially those of you that raised your hand. Father God, thank you for loving me. Lord, I've been caught in my sin. And I know you forgive me. So I ask tonight that you would apply your forgiveness to my life. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and forgiving me tonight. I surrender myself. I choose to surrender myself to you and to your great plan for me. I commit tonight to live for you all the rest of the days of my life until I see you face to face. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Now, before I dismiss you, and I don't know if you service is over, and I don't know if the belong class is over, so that's okay. But before I dismiss you tonight, let me challenge you to th take the opportunity every time you encounter someone to give them an opportunity to encounter the Jesus that lives inside of you because that's the only thing that will change their life. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your people tonight. Lord, I pray, God, <laughs> Lord, that you would bless your people. You would lift up your countenance towards them, God. You would make your face to shine upon them, Lord God. You would bless them abundantly and you would keep them and give them peace tonight, Lord, in your great name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.